Well, the sermon text for this morning comes from Romans chapter 2. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 25 through 29. And that's on page 1127 in the Pew Bibles. Romans 2. And uh, as I said, we'll be looking at uh, 25 through 29. We'll back up a little bit as this section runs together. You'll, you'll notice that this is a, a two-parter. Uh, this is the second part of it, a false confidence. And that, that section begins up in verse 17. So either just listen or read along to this portion of God's word. This is Romans 2, 17 through 29. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, Though you're breaking, uh, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you through having the letter of the law, though having the letter of the law, and circumcision or a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Uh, years ago, uh, this, uh, this passage made me think of, of someone who wanted me uh, this is way, this is back in the Eastville years, wanted me uh, to baptize their child. And uh, it was rather odd. Uh, the, uh, the person would occasionally talk about God here and there, but uh, did not go to church, did not show much interest at all in spiritual things, but they wanted their baby baptized. And uh, I then had to explain that it is for people who have professed faith and, and joined our local church uh, for them and their children. And it includes the promises as well to raise the child in the church and, and so on, which you, which you heard this morning. Sadly, uh, the person still didn't seem to get it. Um, I, I had to say no, of course, uh, but there was this need or desire to have the child baptized as if something magical would happen in the baptism itself. And I thought of that 
because that's the topic that we have here before us this morning. As Paul speaks to to, uh, Jews who might be listening uh, to him and the way in which they depended upon circumcision and thought of it as a saving thing. And he points to them that this is not so. And that instead, as he'll get to in chapter 3, it is about faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's, uh, let's see that as we work our way through, as he points out their, their false confidence in circumcision. Uh, we begin with uh, first circumcision and uncircumcision in, in verses 25 and 26. Now last week we looked at 17 through 24, and there we saw Paul uh, continue to, to press the overall theme of chapter 2 as he shows Jews and, uh, and moral Gentiles as well that they are under the wrath of God for their sins just as much as idolatrous Gentiles of the world. Now, Paul dealt with those folk in chapter 1 and showed that they are under God's wrath as well. And earlier in chapter 2, Paul wrote that Jews will be judged by the written law of God given through Moses. And Gentiles will be judged by the sense of God's law which is written on every human heart. And every human then will be found to be guilty sinners, Jews and Gentiles, as they all fail to keep God's requirement of perfect obedience. He's telling us that we are all under God's wrath. Jews are not immune from God's just judgment simply by having the law or simply by being Jews because they fail to keep that law. In 17 through 24, Paul focused on the Jews' false confidence and false sense of privilege as God's chosen people. He pointed to their boasting of having the law and how they wrongly took self-confidence in it before God. In truth, they were no better than the unbelieving Gentiles they looked down upon, for they failed to keep the law they're so proud of possessing. In fact, Paul said they dishonor God by showing themselves to be hypocrites, before the Gentile world. In today's verses, Paul addresses a second element of the Jews' false confidence, and that is their reliance upon circumcision as a ritual that makes one right with God. Paul corrects this notion, reminding us all that the outward signs and sacraments, even ones commanded by God, do not magically or automatically bring salvation. A true Jew, a true believer, is a person of any ethnicity who has a trusting faith in Jesus the Messiah and who then displays evidence of faith in that the sacrament points toward. True salvation by God's grace and power is inward and not merely outward. Those trusting in the outward rituals instead of the Lord remain under God's wrath for their sins. Uh, The gift of Jesus imputed righteousness and forgiveness by his sacrifice as explained in the gospel, and Paul will get to this in chapter 3, as he's taken hold of, uh, the believer takes hold of that by trusting faith alone. That is the only way to avoid the, the wrath of God that all of us deserve. Rituals do not save. Jesus alone saves. And we begin with verse 25. Again, Paul is emphasizing the failure of the things that Jews take confidence in to keep them from God's judgment and wrath. And he's already written of 
of the possession of the law, not excluding them from judgment for their sins. And now he turns to their confidence in their circumcision. Now circumcision, as you probably know, is the cutting off of the foreskin of the penis of the male. And it was given by God as a covenant sign to Abraham and his descendants, as we read earlier this morning from Genesis chapter 17. It was a physical sign of the covenant of God with Abraham and with his descendants. And that was explained progressively there in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. God brought Abraham out of paganism and made wonderful promises to him. Promises of land, promise that he would give him a a great name, that he would make a great nation come from him, and that the peoples of the world would be blessed through him. And Abraham trusted in the Lord for those promises, even though he and his wife were elderly and and childless, and it seemed impossible, humanly speaking. Abram trusted in the Lord, and we read in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, that the Lord took Abraham outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So Abraham trusted in the Lord, and by faith alone, the Lord counted Abraham as righteous. With a righteousness, Abraham did not earn or deserve. And so he justified Abraham and brought him into a reconciled relationship with God. Now Paul will expand on this in Romans. We will hear Abraham's name again. But for now, note that trusting faith is to be part of one's response to God's promises in the covenant. And such faith brings God's gift of righteousness and salvation. Yet sadly, in Paul's day, the Jews had reduced the act of circumcision to a ritual, a mark of their identity as God's people, which they thought magically and superstitiously guaranteed eternal life. For instance, rabbinical writings of that era say things like this, circumcised men do not descend into Gehenna, which is hell, and circumcision will deliver Israel from Gehenna. And so that's the, that's the mindset that Paul is dealing with here. And so he addresses this false notion that circumcision saves. He says in 25, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, circumcision is the sign of the covenant to Abraham and the covenant promises of of grace. And And also, the practice of the law here in verse 25 is in view. Now, that term, practice of the law here, does not refer to works of obedience but rather fulfilling the conditions of the law by having the faith of Abraham and in faith keeping the covenant. And this is, this is clear as we work through the whole passage. John Murray writes, The practicing of the law which makes circumcision profitable is the fulfillment of the conditions of faith and obedience, apart from which the claim to the promises and grace and privileges of the covenant was presumption and mockery. By not having faith in the Lord, which is part of the covenant, 
They turned it into, as Murray says, mockery and presumption, a ritual that they falsely trusted in to save. In doing so, they make it uncircumcision, Paul says. In other words, it places them in the same position as unbelieving pagan Gentiles under God's wrath. Circumcision is an empty ritual that, when practiced this way, it does not give automatic pardon from the wrath of God. And sadly, they were taking it that way. And Paul continues in verse 26. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Now this would be very offensive to Paul's Jewish listener as he asks rhetorically here that if whether, if whether or not an uncircumcised man, a Gentile, who keeps the requirements of the law, will he not have his circumcision, uncircumcision regarded as circumcision? And so Paul puts it as a question so that it is to be processed and is to produce a yes answer. But the answer would have been appalling to a Jew that an unbelieving or that a Gentile rather would be considered as circumcised. Paul refers here to Gentiles then who come to the Lord through the gospel and who are physically uncircumcised yet they fulfill the law. That is, they have the faith and obedience that the covenant requires. And so a Gentile who is uncircumcised physically can fulfill the covenant and be counted as circumcised. And yet, a Jew who is without faith, while physically circumcised, is counted as uncircumcised in verse 25. In other words, the physical sign was of no benefit if faith and obedience to the covenant were absent. And the absence of the physical sign did not prevent any true believer from receiving the grace and the blessing offered in the covenant. Well, second, believing Gentiles will judge unbelieving Jews in verse 27. And here Paul adds another layer onto his statements to again disturb the the self-confident Jew who is relying on physical circumcision to save him. Again, it is in the form of a rhetorical question which demands a yes answer. Here Paul tells the Jew directly that a Gentile, a man physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will actually stand in judgment over a Jew who has the law and is circumcised, but does not keep the law, but rather is a transgressor of the law. Now, Paul has already, up in verse 3 of this chapter, shown that Jews are just as guilty of sin as Gentiles. He said, But do you suppose, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? But here, as in verses 28 and 29, as they will make clear, Paul is speaking of the transgressor, or the transgression, rather, of the law, not simply in sinful violations of the law, but also in neglecting the faith in the Lord and the obedience to the covenant that is part of the covenant of Abraham. The thought that Gentiles would stand in judgment over them would be, again, totally offensive and outrageous to the Jew listening. But Paul teaches here the truth that is found elsewhere in scriptures. 
One great example of this is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, that the wicked people of Nineveh, who repented and turned to the Lord in response to the preaching of Jonah, will rise up on judgment day and condemn the Jews who rejected Jesus and the gospel and refused to repent and believe. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Under Jesus, uh, to whom God the Father has given the judgment of the world, believers will have a role in the judgment. And sadly, Jews who have a false confidence in their heritage and the ritual of circumcision and their possession of the law, but have no faith and no fruit of obedience flowing from that, will be judged and condemned. Commentator Robert Haldane writes, instead of being led to the Savior by the law according, uh, according to its true end, they transgressed it through their view of the letter of the law and of circumcision, both of which they made a Savior. And so they made the law and they made circumcision their Savior instead of Jesus. Sadly, their reliance on outward things is keeping them from seeking the salvation their sins point toward. And Gentiles from outside of those benefits are experiencing that salvation that these Jews overlook. Well, third and finally, outward Jews and inward Jews in verses 28 and 29. And here, Paul explains why being circumcised does not guarantee salvation. And why not being why excuse me Paul explains why being circumcised does not guarantee salvation, and why not being circumcised does not keep someone from salvation. And the explanation is that the thing that truly matters is not the outward sign of circumcision, but the inward work of God's grace in the heart. And a true Jew is not one who merely has a bloodline or religious rituals but one who has a heart for God, the faith of Abraham, and a changed life of obedience from the heart by God's grace. Paul writes, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. These merely outward Jews are counting on their heritage. They're having the law. They're being circumcised. All these outward things. But the law and circumcision were never intended to be merely outward. They were given to be internalized. That individuals would realize their sin against the holy God. In turn, and trust in the Lord for the gift of salvation. The outward sign was fine and God-given, but it represented internal spiritual things that need to be responded to in faith and repentance. It's a sign. It's not, it's not the thing itself. It doesn't make the thing itself. Uh, when you get on the turnpike exit uh, down by uh, New Kensington, there's always that sign that says, uh, to Harrisburg and to Ohio, and you have to choose which way to go. 
you are not magically transported to Ohio or Harrisburg by looking at the sign, right? You, you see the sign, and then you go in the direction that the sign points you toward. And then you get to Ohio or Harrisburg. It is not the sign that does the work. It is responding rightly to the sign. Paul says that being a true Jew is a matter of following the signs and then trusting and repenting in the Lord and taking hold of his offer of forgiveness that's displayed in in the sacrifices and in the example of Abraham who received righteousness he did not earn by trusting faith alone. It's all offered by God's grace alone but must be taken hold of by faith. If an ethnic Jew does not trust in the Lord as God's signs direct, Paul says he is not a true Jew. In verse 29, the beginning of it, Paul adds that even an ethnic Jew, excuse me, even an ethnic Gentile can be a Jew spiritually and receive all the blessings of being God's covenant people if that ethnic Gentile has the faith of Abraham to which circumcision points. And Paul expands on this In Galatians chapter 3, he says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. And then he says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Paul then adds and concludes here in our verse 29. And circumcision, that is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Now the phrase circumcision of the heart is is a reminder that the Old Testament sign of circumcision was to be accompanied by a spiritual reality which Israelites were called to pursue. The circumcision that truly matters is not the physical removal of the foreskin, but a change of heart. The Old Testament speaks of this as something to be pursued, as well as something that God does in a person's soul. We read in Deuteronomy 10, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your father's did the Lord set his affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. The physical ritual surgery set them apart from the pagan nations, but they were to be believing and repentant and set apart spiritually and were to pursue that circumcision of the heart. This was the truly important thing. Yet as Paul notes in our verse 29, the circumcision of the heart, the deepest part of who we are, must be done by the Spirit, not by the letter. It is God the Holy Spirit alone who can change the heart. Sadly, the Jews were thinking that the mere ritual produced salvation, and they neglected the fact that God alone can change hearts and save. And he doesn't do so uh, automatically like a vending machine by performing rituals. 
We're told in Deuteronomy 30 and 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And Paul writes of himself and fellow Christians in Titus 3. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, which, according to his mercy, by the washing of, and regenerate by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so it is the inward work of God that saves and is to be desired, not merely a, a reliance on outward rituals. And then Paul closes this section by adding, and his praise is from men, not God. Now this is interesting, there's a play on words here that's, that's not obvious in English. Uh, the Hebrew name Judah, we mentioned uh, last week, I think, was from the ter- was where the term Jew comes from. Judah became Jew. And uh, it, is, it is in its origin uh, related to the word for praise. And so Jew means praise. And yet Paul uh, is, is adding in a sad and tragic way that they sought their praise from men rather from God. They got their praise from being descendants of Judah, the patriarch. And they took pride in that rather than seeking approval by God. And so Paul in today's passage is challenging his Jewish hearers not to rely on their heritage or status as God's people or even their possession of the law or even their practice of circumcision as making them right with God. They are to go beyond the outward ritual in religion and see their need of inward things. See that they are sinners before the holy God who need to repent and believe from the heart and cry out for forgiveness from the wrath they deserve and take hold of and embrace by faith the Savior, Jesus Christ. Being a true Jew is not outward and it is not even limited to ethnic Jews. It is inward the result of an inner circumcision of the heart, not outward rituals or privileges. And Paul's intention here is to cause them to see their futile reliance on outward religion alone and seek salvation offered in the gospel alone and in Jesus Christ alone. And so we can look at that and see that the same truth applies in the church, in the New Testament church and among professing Christians. Now, Paul knows that, that we know that the covenant sign has changed, been changed uh, by Jesus from circumcision to baptism. And for those who, who, who profess faith in their children, uh, he's not addressing that here. He's simply addressing the unbelieving Jew and his unsound belief regarding circumcision and salvation. Yet folk in the church can have an unsound belief regarding baptism and believe that it saves As we noted last week, humanly speaking, the hardest folk to reach with the gospel are folk that that think that they're okay with God, that they're self-assured, but their assurance is based on outward attendance of, of worship or words or rituals or religion alone without inner change. Now, baptism is something thought of as a magic sacrament by some that brings salvation. Salvation. And sadly, it doesn't help that that is that it is sometimes practiced and preached as such. 
Uh, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, for example, that came up in the news this week, oddly enough, uh, teaches that baptism erases original sin and that the baptized individual uh, is, is uh, eterna- in, internally changed by the act of baptism. You may have seen in the news, it was, it was everywhere this week, that there was a, a, a priest in, uh, in Phoenix who was, was performing uh, baptisms but using improper language according uh, to the ritual as it's given in the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And I, I drew this, this is from CBS News that I got off the web, uh, that, uh, that this priest uh, in Phoenix when he poured the holy water during baptisms, he would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this, uh, this priest misstated one word, uh, reading from the article, we baptize should have been I baptize. And getting that word wrong nullified all the rituals he performed using the language. And there's a big press release and a web page that the, uh, the, the Diocese of Phoenix has produced and says, if you were baptized using the wrong words, that means your baptism is invalid and you are not baptized. And so they all need to be baptized and there's a way to register to get baptized. And you, if you read the, uh, the frequently asked questions section, which I did, there were all kinds of phrases, most of which were drawn from the Catholic Catechism saying things like, baptism is a requirement for salvation. Baptism is necessary for salvation. The church does not know any other, any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism. And what a sad thing that is, that, that they're looking to the performance of the act as conveying salvation itself. But sadly, I'll, 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 I'll mention certainly that I've known many, many non-Catholics who have a similar view of baptism, as if the sacrament itself is what makes one right with God. And some folk even take it to they're praying the sinner's prayer once, maybe decades ago, but they've shown no interest in the Lord, no interest in his word, no a godly living since then, but they will rely on that and maybe a, a baptism that accompanied it. I once heard uh, a preacher give a, a, a family, actually it was my family, assurance of the salvation of a deceased loved one years ago based on her church membership, although she hadn't attended in like 40 years, and that she taught Sunday school once uh, like 40 years earlier. And her life since then had shown no interest in the Lord whatsoever. And yet uh, the preacher somehow, uh, somehow guaranteed salvation to her mourning family on the basis of her, her uh, church membership. And such confidence is all over the place. But sadly it is in outward things, as Paul says in our passage. And that is empty and false. Our friend Gordon Ketty comments, your baptism or even your profession of faith in words won't make you what your life proves you are not. The true gospel, while pictured in baptism in the Lord's Supper, 
is not acquired by merely participating in those sacraments. Nor is it found in attending church or being a member or coming from a Christian family any more than being Jewish and having the law and being circumcised saved a Jew. Rather, salvation is an inward thing given by God's grace alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone as Jesus is taken hold of by trusting faith and repentance alone. Jesus Christ is God the Son, the eternal second person of the triune God, who became also fully man to be the saving substitute of all who would trust in him. He came and fully obeyed all of God's laws, which all of us failed to do. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God due to his people for their sins upon himself. He died and was buried. But on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead an accepted sacrifice and a living Savior. And all those who trust in him and his work and his resurrection are covered in his righteousness, forgiven by his sacrifice and justified by God. And all this is by God's gift and grace alone to sinners who don't deserve it and could never earn it. As Paul will say in Romans 3, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now God has made known a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. In this salvation, we are reconciled to the triune God and enter into eternal life and a relationship with him. And we are changed by the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer as he produces godly fruit in us to his glory. And so what a wonderful blessing this gift of salvation is. If you have it, then rejoice in God's grace and mercy to you. If you do not, I encourage you from, to turn from whatever else you may be relying on to make you right with God and consider this one and only way to salvation. That is by, by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Not by empty rituals or reliance on your supposed goodness or any other thing. It comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and is offered to all of us. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for this portion of your word. As we ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, we, do, we do thank you for, for the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ to sinners. And uh, we thank you that though you uh, picture that gospel, uh, pictured it in circumcision, picture it in baptism today, that it is not automatically conveyed by those rituals by those activities you call on us to practice. Uh, it, is, it is something that we are to take hold of by faith. May we follow in the example of our father Abraham and trust in you. And we thank you for the gift of righteousness earned by Christ that, is, that, it, that covers us as we trust in Christ. And we thank you for the forgiveness of sins uh, which was pictured in the animal sacrifices and accomplished by Christ on the cross that is ours as we trust in him. And we thank you that he is a risen Savior 
who gives eternal life to us as we trust in him. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.